Hey, good morning. Uh, so glad to have you all here with us this morning. Uh, really excited to be continuing on in our You've Got to Be Kidding Me series. And last week, Pastor Tom, he kicked this series off with a personal story about his dad. And he shared how he, his dad was a pastor. He never heard his dad say a cuss word. Well, I grew up a little differently. My dad was not a pastor. Um, he was a counselor at a home for juvenile delinquent boys. Um, so he has spent 25 years, over 25 years, um, working with some of the toughest kids. And he is known to have his own expressions of surprise that we wouldn't say here on a Sunday morning. And one, one day in particular, I remember um, this happening while we were in church. So um, we lived, I grew up living across the street from a Catholic church, and the parking lot there was right close to our house. And so um, every, every time they had a service, um, we would actually, we learned to move our cars out of the street because more than once our cars were hit by people attending this church. And so we learned just get out of the way whenever there's a service, just move your cars to a different spot. And this worked pretty well for us for a while um, until one morning someone knocked over our basketball goal. Now, the basketball goal wasn't directly on the street. It was actually, like, in our yard. We had cleared a patch of grass and put down a little cement pad to put up the hoop. And it was totally knocked over. And I remember my little sister coming in to talk to us. We were at, at our own church. And uh, she says, listen, Dad, uh, somebody from the Catholic Church knocked over our basketball goal. And he says, you have got to be kidding me. Because he looked around realizing he was in the church lobby. And we all have those moments in our lives where we want to, to jump out and express surprise. We have those moments when we say, man, you've got to be kidding me. And the stories that we're looking at uh, in this whole series are unbelievable. There are moments in each one of these stories where we'll find ourselves saying, really? You've got to be kidding me. And what Pastor Tom shared last week is the big aha moment in each of these stories comes not when we look at the characters, not when we look at Jonah or David or Samson, but it comes when we look at God who does not change. And he shared these scriptures with us last week in Malachi. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. And we get a New Testament reference where it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with this truth in mind, we know that the same God who is acting on behalf of these individuals in these stories is acting today. He's still God today. And that perspective, if we really embrace that, would change not just how we view our circumstances, but it has the potential to change how we live. And so this morning we're jumping into the story of Jonah. And again, this story has some pretty crazy, unbelievable things that happens that happen. There's a guy that gets swallowed by a fish. There is a storm that is brought on by God and then stopped by God. An entire city that changes direction because of the words from a prophet. Uh, pretty incredible, crazy story. Um, but the big moment, the big you've got to be kidding me moment comes in this story, not when we look at Jonah or the fish, but it comes when we look at this all-powerful God who opts for compassion over force. All through the book of Jonah, there's this all-powerful God who opts for compassion over force. And the whole book is organized with these two big buts. I mean, it's organized with these two big but statements. But God and but Jonah. And this, these but statements are like our uh, magic word for the day. I don't know if we have any people who watched Pee Wee Herman as kids, kids of the 90s. Um, if you were a child of the 90s, you remember the magic word was, or the secret word was one where if you heard it, you had to cheer and clap. You don't have to cheer and clap this morning, but you should have alarm bells going off in your head anytime you hear, but God, 
or but Jonah, because these words, they indicate a place where God's heart and Jonah's heart are separate from each other, where the actions of Jonah are distinctly different from the actions and the thoughts of God. And so with that, uh, the book of Jonah, it starts out with this very clear command from God. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, the word wickedness uh, means just what it says, wicked. It also is often translated to mean evil or bad, and sometimes it even is used to refer to misery. And when we see this word wicked, what God is actually saying is, Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh because things have really gotten bad there. It's messed up. Why don't you go there? Which I think is kind of an impressive thing to think about God's heart, that he sees this place that is messed up, that's far from him, and he says, hey, go there. Go to the mess. Go to the place where things are totally screwed up. And right from the beginning, God knows that he is calling Jonah to do something that would be distinctly difficult for him. He knows that he's calling Jonah to do something that would be tough. And as we continue on, um, we see Jonah's response immediately after God calls him to do this. It says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And if you look at a map, you can see that Tarshish and Nineveh are in the exact opposite directions. He couldn't have gone further from where God was asking him to go. This would be like if God said to one of us, hey, go to Columbia, and instead we hopped in the car and headed for Atlanta. He doesn't even pretend like he's going to obey God. He just goes exactly opposite of where God is going, or God is asking him to go. And we see there that this, this but Jonah moment where Jonah's heart is distinctly different from what God is calling him to and God is asking him to do. Now, this kind of defiance, it's, it's kind of hard to admit when we have that defiance happening in our own lives as adults, uh, but it's really, really easy to see in little kids. And I have a distinct memory of being this defiant as a child. Now, I was pretty much a compliant kid, but one time in particular, I remember it was wintertime in Pennsylvania, and I wanted to go sledding, and so I had lined up my little sled in front of our house, directly in front of a parked car, and I was just getting ready to go down the hill, and I remember I stopped right at the top of the hill, and I turned around to look at my babysitter who was standing in the doorway, and she was standing there, no, 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 don't do that, waving as big as she could, telling me, please don't go down that hill, And I remember I turned right back around, put my little hands in the snow and pushed up. Went straight down the hill directly into the side of a parked car, into the muffler. And that little decision, it ended me up in the ER with stitches that day. And, And we do this sometimes, don't we? We know what we're supposed to do. And we hop into our little sleds and push up and do the exact opposite. Sometimes we ignore the advice. We ignore the prompting. We push back on the people who love us the most, the ones that are trying to warn us and do exactly opposite of what we know we're supposed to do. And Jonah, he finds himself doing this. And when he does, he experiences this kind of distance from God. And sometimes we feel this. Sometimes we feel far from God because we have chosen not to follow what he said. Sometimes we experience this distance from God because we we chose to do something different than what we knew what we were supposed to do. And maybe we have good reasons. (laughs) See, in the case of Jonah, he had some pretty good reasons. 
the people of Nineveh, like I said, were known for their wickedness. They were known to be evil. They were longtime enemies of the Israelites. And this was like, in our society, if you can think about the people that have committed the most wicked, evil, offensive things, you think about those people that have done things very destructive and harmful. Now imagine they did those things not just to strangers, but that they had committed those acts against your own family. They committed those acts against people you know and you love. And then God said, hey, why don't you go talk to those guys? This would be tough. This would be something that most of us, if we heard that kind of command from God, our initial reaction would be, no thanks, I'm going to head for Tarshish. I'm out of here. And we would distinguish ourselves from God. We would have a but Jonah moment. Now, why would God do this? It seems kind of crazy. Like he could have found somebody who was maybe closer friends with the Ninevites that could go on and talk to them. But instead, he calls Jonah, knowing from the very beginning that this would be difficult for Jonah. And, and it seems like God is a little bit like mean-spirited here, or at least insensitive, to ask Jonah to go to the very people that were his enemies. But I don't think that God is doing this because he wants to beat Jonah up. I think God wants to see Jonah grow. So he, doesn't, he sends Jonah to the Ninevites, not because he wants to beat Jonah up, but because he wants to build him up. I think there's something going on in Jonah's heart that God wants to correct and fix. So he puts his little finger on it and asks Jonah to go there so that he can deal not just with the Ninevites, but deal with what's going on in Jonah's heart. I think that's important for some of us today because we can walk through circumstances where we start to feel beat up by God. We feel like, man, why are you putting me through this? And the truth is that in the midst of whatever we're walking through, God is always trying to build us up. His heart is to always help us grow more to love him and to know him more. And so for Jonah, again, this request, it would have seemed too big. So he resists. He tries to run. And and the interesting thing is, while Jonah is running away from God, God's response to him is pretty surprising. Because God doesn't lash out He reaches out. He doesn't lash out, beat up Jonah, but he reaches out to him. Immediately after Jonah hopped on the ship and he's heading across to sea, this huge storm comes up. And the boat, they they think the boat is going to collapse and capsize. And so the sailors are freaking out. They start throwing things overboard. They start praying to their gods. This would be like if you're on an airplane and you see the flight attendants freaking out, but you know it's time to worry. This is that kind of situation. The sailors are worried, so you know the storm is bad. And they get so desperate that they even go to Jonah, Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah says, listen, this is my fault. Just throw me overboard. And they eventually do. They throw him overboard, and as soon as they do, the storm stops, and the sea is calm. And all of the sailors in the boat believe, which is this beautiful picture, of again, of God's mercy. Because the, the sailors, these are like not the main characters of the story. These are just kind of side characters. And yet God sees them and shows mercy to them. He saves them while Jonah is in the midst of disobeying. Now, Jonah is not doing as well as the sailors at this point because he's just been thrown into the ocean. And so he finds himself at the bottom of the ocean. And for a while, again, he's feeling distant from God because he is drowning in his own mess. He's down there about to, about to die, literally, uh, because of the decisions that he has made. And here's his description of what's going on. He says, I sank beneath the waves, and the waters, they closed over me. Seaweed, it wrapped around my head, and I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned 
in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. And then he goes on and says, but you, oh Lord my God, you snatched me up from the jaws of death. Again, what a beautiful but God here. Jonah is about to die. Seaweed wrapped around his head at the bottom of the ocean. But you snatched me from the jaws of death. And how did God snatch him from the jaws of death? We know the story. A lot of us, he sent a fish that came and swallowed Jonah. And, and I have to imagine that Jonah is saying, you have got to be kidding me. That was not how I was expecting to be rescued. This is a bad day. First the storm, now the ocean, and now fish. Okay, I, I guess this is happening. But Jonah finds himself inside this whale. And the interesting thing about it is that God sent this fish to swallow Jonah up Not when he was walking perfectly, not when he had things all together. Jonah was in the middle of disobeying God when God came and rescued him. Again, what a beautiful picture of his incredible mercy that he would chase after someone who was trying to run from him. And we see here that God leverages his power to protect a fleeing Jonah. And his mercy, God's mercy, it reaches beyond the boundaries of our rebellion What a beautiful truth. God's mercy reaches beyond the boundaries of our rebellion. So the same God who calms these seas has command over all creation. He performs a miracle of mercy on behalf of this disobedient prophet. And not only did he miraculously calm the seas and save the sailors, but now he's trying to save Jonah by commanding the fish. He could have let Jonah drown. He could have just left him in the ocean. He could have let him get to Tarshish, but instead God pursues him. And Jonah recognizes this, and we get this prayer that he's actually praying from inside the fish. And I'd imagine that as he's there, he's thinking, okay, so I'm not dead, but I'm not necessarily safe. I'm I'm alive. I'm kind of in this in-between spot. And this is what he says to God. He says, but you, oh, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. And what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This is one of those prayers, like those ones, the Hail Mary prayers that we throw up when things are getting crazy. We say, oh man, I really messed up. God, if you would just get me out of this, I promise I will never do it again. And Jonah is kind of praying that sort of prayer. God, if you just get me out of this, I will say salvation comes from you. I will praise y'all, do whatever you ask. Just save me, God. And he says, you've already rescued me from the ocean. Now rescue me from this and I'll praise you. And immediately after that, the fish vomits Jonah onto dry ground, which is disgusting. (laughs) I always thought about, like, when I heard this story, I thought Jonah would be, like, all nice and neat in his Bible clothes, standing on the beach whenever God comes and talks to him. But it probably wasn't like that. He was probably nasty, laying on the beach in whatever else was in that fish's belly. And God comes up to him and says, hey, You done yet? Are you ready to try again? And then he gives Jonah this command. Go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah, this time, decides to obey. He goes to Nineveh and he does what God says. And it's interesting because Jonah has just been the recipient of salvation. He's not just a messenger of salvation, but he's received this himself as God has rescued him from the ocean. And now he's going to go deliver this message. And we see that God is still after this this restored relationship with Jonah. He wants to save the Ninevites, but he also wants to save Jonah. He is all all powerful, but he's also intensely personal. 
And we see that God, he is the Lord of the universe, but make no mistake, he is God of my life too. He's working in Jonah's life, still trying to draw him back to him. And so Jonah goes, he preaches, the city of Nineveh, they like call an all-out repentance fest. They begin to mourn, they all put on black clothes, they light candles, they hold a silent, a moment of silence, have this moment where they all say, okay, we're on a hunger strike, we're going to listen to God, and God listens. He holds back his wrath, he doesn't, he doesn't destroy the city, he saves them. And this should be the place for like a happy ever after. Because again, God has opted for compassion over force. Jonah did what he said, the people are saved, and we should just be celebrating. It should be like the end. But it's not, because shortly after that, we find Jonah hanging out on the outskirts of the city. He's actually sitting up on this hill, kind of looking down. And I imagine that he's sitting up there kind of watching, like, okay, God, come on, bring, bring your wrath. Let me see it. And he doesn't. And when God saves the city, Jonah is mad. He finds himself frustrated that God has shown compassion to these people. And we get these words from Jonah. They say, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh, Jonah is ticked off. Why is he ticked off? Because God has shown compassion, which is interesting. He's throwing back the the characteristics of God as an insult to God. He's saying, you are compassionate. I can't believe that you are compassionate. And he finds himself, again, feeling distance from God because he's disillusioned by how God has acted. He is disillusioned by what God has done. He wanted God to act one way, and instead, God did something different from what he had expected. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Jonah should have known how God would act. He would have been familiar with the stories of the Israelites. He would have known that the scriptures that say God is gracious and compassionate. He would have heard from the psalmist who described God in this way and heard that God was gracious to Moses and all the Israelites in the wilderness. And when he has this experience of God showing mercy, when God acts in that way, Jonah finds himself upset that God didn't act a little bit more like him. And it's interesting because I still think as God is calling Jonah to do this, he's after something going on in Jonah's heart. We see this intense hatred and frustration in Jonah that he just can't let go of. God could have let him flee, but he keeps pushing him. And I think God wanted to extend Jonah to extend mercy so that Jonah would better be able to receive mercy. He was asking God to extend mercy to these people that were difficult for him because he wanted Jonah to be able to receive that mercy himself. See, God's not trying to beat Jonah up. He's trying to build him up. He knows that it, as long as Jonah has this hatred inside, that he's never going to be able to fully experience what God has for him. And he wants to fix it. And God will do this for us, too. He'll call us to show compassion to people that are difficult for us, not because he's mean-spirited, but because he wants to fix whatever it is that's going on inside of us that, that is blocking our ability to experience compassion in our own souls. Now, a quick example of this that I think is interesting. See, Jonah has 
just received mercy and salvation from God. We've just seen him get rescued from the ocean. And immediately after, he turns around and does not want to show that same compassion and mercy to other people. And I think we do this all the time in really small ways. Uh, My husband and I, we've been driving around this car that has a terminal diagnosis. And it... it, (laughs) It has a multi-cylinder misfire is what the the code is. And when you drive it, to me, what that means is when I push the gas, it doesn't always go. And so it doesn't always shift uh, the way it's supposed to. A lot of times it takes a long time to accelerate. And so when we're driving this car, we'll find people right up on our bumper pretty fast. And we'll be looking in the rearview mirror saying, come on, guys, back off. This is as fast as we can go. Be a little bit patient. And we have this other car that we drive that is fine. It works just fine. We jump in it, and it goes when you hit the gas. And when we're in that one, it's amazing how quickly the tables turn, how quickly we find ourselves up on somebody else's bumper saying, guys, don't you know the speed limit? Come on, we got somewhere to go. And it's amazing how we do this with grace. We're so quick to receive grace when we're in a situation where we're beat up and we've messed up and we just we need someone to come and give us grace We want it. We receive it. But then, shortly after we've received it, it's so easy to turn back around and have trouble extending that same grace to somebody else who's struggling. It's so easy to say, oh, man, they they deserve whatever's coming their way. And we do this. And Jonah, he does this too. He struggles to extend the same mercy to the Ninevites that he has received himself. I came across this interesting quote this week by Henry Nouwen. And Henry Nouwen was a priest and a writer, and he was someone who spent a lot of time trying to understand community. He lived in a priestly community, academic community. He spent some time in a community um, of people with special needs. And in all of that, he came out with this insight about compassion. He says that compassion can never coexist with judgment because judgment creates the distance, the distinction that prevents us from really being with each other. He says, compassion can never coexist with judgment. Compassion can never coexist with judgment. He's talking about human hearts and in human communities, that when we have judgment and ugliness in our hearts, it's very difficult for us to experience and offer compassion at the same time. And that's the thing that God's putting his finger on in Jonah. There's this sharp distinction in the whole book of Jonah between the heart of God And the judgment of Jonah. God is consistently showing compassion over force. And Jonah is over and over again being angry and frustrated. And I think Jonah lacks this ability to show compassion because he still holds all that hatred inside for the Ninevites. And what I love about this story is that God didn't just leave Jonah there. He didn't say, okay, well, you're a hateful person. Fine. You live in your own misery. And I'll go find somebody else. No, he keeps on him. He keeps moving in Jonah's life because he wants Jonah to get past this. And as we read this story, I think we can see a lot of ourselves in the but Jonah moments. We can see ourselves in these moments whenever we want to disobey God and we feel far from God because we've chosen to do something different. We can see ourselves in those but Jonah moments where Jonah is drowning in his circumstances, drowning in circumstances, some that are chosen for him, some that he's chosen himself. And we can see ourselves in the but Jonah moments when Jonah is frustrated, disillusioned, because God has acted differently than he had hoped he would. And I I made this mistake as I was working through this this week of identifying a lot with Jonah. 
And if you do that, if you sit in the story and see yourself as Jonah over and over again, you'll end up feeling pretty beat up. Man, I'm not compassionate enough. I am messed up. I, I get angry at you. You don't act the way that I want you to. God, I'm just, I'm just not enough. But the truth is that the overarching theme in the book of Jonah isn't that Jonah is a messed up dude. The overarching theme in the book of Jonah is that we serve an all-powerful, compassionate God who consistently opts for compassion over force. We serve a God who is incredibly and beautifully merciful. And we see it over and over and over again. We see him when he saves the sailors. We see him as he taps on Jonah and he pushes him to the place where Jonah's going to experience health ultimately. We see him as he shows compassion to a city that has been far from him. God is compassionate and merciful, and he opts for compassion over force. And I, I think that God's efforts to transform Jonah weren't in vain because the story of Jonah it ends with him sulking outside the city. But it goes even beyond that because at some point, someone had to sit down and record all the events of the book of Jonah. And that someone was most likely Jonah himself. And when Jonah sat down to write this story and to share it with other people, he doesn't lift himself up as a hero. No, he paints himself as a guy who's an example of what not to do. And I think at some point, Jonah got to a place where he realized the hatred in his heart had to go. And where he fully understood that God is merciful and God is gracious. And I think Jonah is saying, I know this looks crazy. Believe me, I didn't want to do this myself. I didn't want to let this compassion sink down in. But God won't be satisfied until his compassion gets deep down inside of us. See, our God, he's compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. And he does not change. So what would that look like if that idea, that truth of a compassionate, all-powerful God could sink down into our lives? What would that look like to allow that kind of God to transform us in those moments when we feel like we're drowning, when we feel like we're disobeying, in those moments when we're disillusioned by God? I think there's a lot of us in the room uh, that are struggling. We're all over the map with where we are with God this morning. But the truth is, wherever we are, God is still pursuing us and still wants to show us that mercy. And so the challenge for this week is simple. Whenever you're feeling frustrated with God or you start to experience that kind of distance, I just want to challenge you to pray this simple prayer. God, would you help me to remember that you are compassionate and gracious. You give mercy to others and you give mercy to me. Help me to remember that you are compassionate and gracious. You give mercy to others. You give mercy to me. What would happen if we prayed that all week long, whenever we started to feel frustrated, whenever we started to feel discouraged? God, you are gracious and compassionate. You show mercy to others. You show mercy to me. You're gracious. You are compassionate. You show mercy to others. You show mercy to me. How would that change us? Because we serve a God who is incredibly merciful He opts for compassion over force time and time again. And in the book of Jonah, we see a God who works in the midst of whatever else is going on in our circumstances, not to beat us up, but to build us up. And we see a God whose mercy reaches beyond the boundaries of our rebellion and even to the depths of the sea. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. 
We thank you that you are a God who is merciful and gracious. God, we thank you that your love never ends. You know the things that we're wrestling with in our hearts this morning. and um, God, you know all the, all the things that can happen um, even between now and the time that we lay our heads down at night. God, I pray that the things that are of you would stick with us, that you would help us to remember your mercy, that you show mercy to others and you show mercy to us. We want to be a people who live with that kind of compassion, not just when you're showing compassion to us, but in the way that we extend it to others. But we recognize that we need your help. It's really, really hard to love people that um, do bad things to us. It's hard to love people that don't love us back. It's hard to love a lot of the people in our lives, and we need your help. And so we're saying again this morning, thank you, God, for your mercy. Would you help us to allow that mercy to sink down so that we can live more like you? God, we love you, and we trust you, and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.